Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Cork Talk. In this episode, we sit down with Lisa Koch and Emily Billings of Banner Elk Vineyard and Winery. We recently stayed at the villa, their B&B located right on site, and thought it would be a great opportunity to learn more about this year-round hotspot. Lisa and Emily, tell us about some of the challenges of growing grapes at such a high elevation and how they're attracting customers with everything from grape wine, tasty sangrias, and even a s'mores bar during the weekends. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. We're here today at Banner Elk Winery in Banner Elk, North Carolina for another episode of Cork Talk. We're here with Lisa Koch and Emily Billings. So thank you for having us and thank you for joining us on Cork Talk. Thank you. So uh, Emily, Lisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about Banner Elk Winery itself? Uh, Give us a little backstory and then we'll take it from there. So Banner Elk Winery has been operational now for almost 15 years. We celebrate our 10-year anniversary in 2015, which is a big deal for us. We are, since Prohibition, one of the 40 in the state that's oldest, which is also a big deal. Before Prohibition, North Carolina actually produced more grapes than any other state in the union. But since then, we've kind of faltered, and we're coming back. We planted first in 2000, and then we introduced 2001 and 2002. When we first started, we planted everything wrong, <laughs> and through trial and error, and mostly Dr. Wolf, one of our owners, going back and forth from France to learn what they plant, we planted things that have now survived for over a decade. So what varieties have survived? So we focus on Marshall Foch, which is a heavier style Pinot Noir, Sable Blanc, which is a Sauvignon Blanc style, we do Golden Muscat, which is a Muscat hybrid, what am I missing? And Steuben. Uh, Steuben is a French-American hybrid that came out of Cornell University that does pretty well up here and makes a pretty spectacular rosé. And, of course, our blueberries. Of course. So talk a little bit about the blueberries, because that's something that when you drive up here, you kind of notice that when you're in the parking lot. So talk a little bit about that. We're located on what was a blueberry farm years and years ago, and we actually have quite a number of folks that come in um, that are in their middle ages and, and say, you know, I came up here as a kid to go blueberry picking and and now it's really nice to come out and see that you guys have a winery here. We took away several acres of the blueberries whenever we um, started the construction here and started planting vines and things like that, but leaving about seven to eight acres of the blueberry bushes left so that we still have those available to make wine with. But once we've done our harvest every year, we do leave a small patch available for you pick so folks can come out and do a uh, you pick, grab a glass of wine, hang out with kids send them up into the fields or just spend some time down here by the pond just to relax so it's definitely a relaxing atmosphere i mean that's one thing that we always enjoy here is after we do our tasting we sit outside for a bit um it's just a great way to take in the scenery take in the nice cool air it's so much cooler here than other parts of the state so <laughs> definitely a major draw absolutely absolutely and we still have the original blueberry farm sort sorting house that's right up behind us here um, it's our barn now that we refer to as our Enchanted Barn, and we do a number of events up there as well. So it is available for rent for things like that. Very cool. So let's we talked a little bit about the the weather and the cooler. So what, what's the elevation here, and how does that impact the temperature and, and the types of philanthropy that happen? It's a big deal. North Carolina is a little unusual by how long the state is in our topography. We can grow anything from mother vine and muscadine, the lower levels, 
switched all the way up here where we do mostly French American hybrids. You are standing right now at 4,300 feet. Our top vineyard is just about 5,000. So until a few years ago, we were the highest east of the Mississippi, or second highest. We relinquished the title, it's not a big deal, <laughs> but still pretty high. We get very, very cold in the winter. We can get into the negatives. Mostly we sit in the teens. Most vines can't live through that. We get a lot of snow. We get a lot of cool air. Nothing to hurt the vines. Having the pond is actually kind of a benefit for us. It creates its own little microclimate. Keeps the vines warm that are right there. So that way when the cold air comes rushing down off the mountain, it doesn't settle. Everything that we do is to try to grow grapes in our climate. When people come in and they go, well, do you have a cab? We are doing test plots of Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc just to see how they do. But we can't guarantee that they're going to live long enough. This winter was pretty easy, except for the 32 inches of snow and 36 hours in December. (laughs) That was was a fun one. We actually had a full villa, so we had a big party. Wow. It was great, actually. (laughs) There, There was not moonshine. We shouldn't wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're snowed in at a winery, what else do you know? I mean, it was great, actually. Yeah. We planned ahead. Um, I actually called my mother. She used to be a caterer in New York. And I asked her how to cook for large amounts of people and what can I cook. And we set up crock pots and everybody just helped themselves for three days until we could get pulled out. Sometimes it's the best way, too. It's just the more it stews, the more it kind of you know blends together. It's just mm-hmm. like, okay. Kind of like wine. <laughs> so weather probably impacts uh, and the elevation and tourists and all that impact how many people are here at a given time so you know winter there's probably some skiers and summer it's it's vacation so what what's it like throughout the year as far as people visiting the winery and hanging out so we have an incredibly unique tourist atmosphere compared to our the other wineries in north carolina because we're in a tourist town that receives folks in the summertime, because the weather here is so pleasant, anyone from lower elevations of North Carolina, in Georgia, South Carolina, and mostly Florida, actually, um, folks are retreating up here to get away from the heat. So we are constantly busy from May to October just for that sole purpose. However, in the fall, we do have foliage change, and it is stunning up here. So a lot of folks come here from all over just to see the leaves change, and we get a lot of business from that just for being so close to the Blue Ridge Parkway. And then after that, of course, it's ski season, and we are 15 minutes away from two of the largest resorts in the southeast. So Beach Mountain and both Sugar Mountain are incredibly close, and often folks that want to go skiing, sometimes it might be too warm for them to go skiing. They don't want to spend the money, so they end up coming here. Or maybe a wife or a husband isn't so into skiing, and they get dropped out here while the other spouse goes to um, the mountain. And so it's it's constantly we're seeing stuff it's really nice mm-hmm. yeah I, I love skiing but uh i would choose wine over skiing <laughs> so, less uh, less hazardous sometimes exactly um i have noticed uh, in our travels and attempts to go to other wineries that some folks have to close certain times of year but here that's just that's not really an option for us which does make does make working there a little better <laughs> we get people year-round, and especially with a lot of people having second homes up here, our regulars aren't always people from Avery County. Sometimes they're people from Charlotte or Raleigh or even Florida that just come up for vacations and events and Christmas. So we've been able, or I have at least in the last four years, 
she watched people get married, and then she brought the children up to have the grandparents bring up the kids and get able to see them grow. It's a unique way of life up here. Absolutely. So I don't think we covered exactly what your roles are here. So Lisa, let's start with you. So I am the property manager. I oversee basically the villa and the winery itself. Um, I've been here for four years. So my role predominantly is what I call kissing babies. <laughs> it's a lot She's of, the politician. I'm the, well, gosh, I got out a long time ago. <laughs> but it's to be seen. If you need something, I'm here for you. If you have questions or issues... I've got you. Emily is the one that really does the day-to-day operations. Um, I've been here about seven years now, and I'm a tasting room manager, um, but that title is a little a little smaller than what I do. <laughs> um, I focus a lot on the wine selling itself, the tasting room, and the day-to-day operations here in this part of the building. Uh, we do have the winery on the other side there that our winemaker, he focuses on, so that's, that's his thing, but... Um, out here, and the way we appear to the public, and the way our tastings work, the way um, really just my, my bachelor's is in economics, so I do a lot of forecasting, a lot of sales reports, and all that stuff. Too, so. Sounds exciting. Hey. So let's talk about the winemaker. So talk, can you introduce him a little bit? So David Craig is our winemaker, and he has been now for the past three years. Four or four. four. Um, he is originally out of Oklahoma. Um, and he is a retired doctor. He did what he did. He did what he did for many years, and he loved it. But at the same time, he didn't couldn't ha- couldn't have idle hands later in life. So um, he went back and found that he really loved wine and the whole process of fermentation. Got a degree in it from UC Davis, mm-hmm. and then came out to North Carolina just to escape into the mountains and fell in love with it here. It's a great place to escape, I have to say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's wonderful. I mean, he's become like dad to all of us too. So very cool, very cool. So talk a little bit about the owner, the folks that own uh, the property. It's it's I think four folks that own the property now. So or is it three? we are three families. Three. Okay. So it's a little different, and two of the families have known each other since high school, <laughs> and then the third family, which is Doctor Wolf, who lives right beside us, he was kind of the drive to do the winery. In the early 2000s, he was brought to Appalachian State to start the Applied Sciences Program, which turned out to be the Fermentation Science Program. He came down from Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. In doing so, he wanted to have a nearby vineyard for the students to work, and he also owned vineyards in Virginia, and he wasn't going to be without his wine. Dr. Wolf is first and foremost a chemical engineer. That is his love in life. Um, some of my favorite times of laughing here are when he goes into the back and he and David are talking about doing wine and Dr. Wolf starts, you know, pouring out of this vat, pouring out of that vat, what can we do to this? And David's standing in there just going, yes, sir. <laughs> but he does put his hand in from time to time. Dr. Wolf started in about 98 looking for property. And then our other owning families actually own the property themselves. They didn't want to sell it. They're originally from Italy. Bianco is 92. He loves to tell stories about Sicily and Mussolini, as you <laughs> may be drinking things that are other than wine. <laughs> we live in his house, so we, we spend a lot of time with him. He's an awesome guy. So the families came together. Dr. Wolf brought his wine background, everything that he knew about selling wine, 
And then the Italian family brought their actual personal wine, which is now our heirloom. So we are a combination of those two sides, mostly French and Italian. So we've been together now for 20 years. Wow. It's a good blend. So, I mean, and you talked about heirloom too. So talk a little bit about the significance of, of that wine. So the heirloom blend um, that is based off of the old family recipe from the owners that we were just speaking about, the Italian side, they, it's been passed down generation after generation. Uh, it's, it's very special to us. It's a 15% Alicante Boucher blend with primarily Sangiovese, 85% Sangiovese, but the fermentation style is a little different. We left the stems, the leaves, the seeds, all of that in during fermentation process to sort of mimic an old world style where they didn't have specific equipment. And in this case, the stemmer to pull out all those little bits. So leaving it in does produce an earthier and woodier style of bread, but they also they also produce several types of wine. So you might oak age something, but you might make something to serve pretty immediately. And that's where this comes in. We aged it in stainless steel instead of in an oak barrel. So once it was ready, it's ready to go, something that can go out on the table, pairs great with foods, especially things with high acid, so tomato sauces and such like that. Um, we originally called it Vino Francesco, but due to different laws and things like that, it got a little tricky to continue calling it that, so we brainstormed for quite some time about what we would rename it, and um, proud to say, I came up with heirloom, and uh, that's what made it to the bottle. It's so. a great story. <laughs> Thank you. So we we've talked a, we've mentioned the villa a little bit, but let's talk about that a little bit more and how that is an important part of what's here at Banner Elf Winery. It's actually the foundation of the Banner Elf Winery. The villa was built in 2003, opened in 2004, and it was actually supposed to be the winery. But having three levels of a winery doesn't exactly work when you're in the mountains. You have to be able to push barrels around, you have a lot of equipment that you need to do, so at the time, Dr. Wolf wanted the winery to be on the bottom floor. The middle floor be where we have the bed and breakfast themselves, and also do the kitchen, and then upstairs we live. At the time, when they figured out that's really not going to work, <laughs> our other owner's family, the wife, is an interior designer. So she came in, revamped the entire system. So we are an eight-bedroom bed and breakfast, five kings, three queens, two fireplace suites, and then one that is handicap acceptable. We do breakfast every morning. Um, we are very, very lucky to have a family working for us from East Tennessee, and Miss Frida can cook. And trust me, there's a reason you want Miss Frida to cook, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but we are operational 365 days a year. We do a lot of weddings and events where you can book up a house, or people can just book by the room for the night or for the weekend. But especially this time of year, and even in the winter, because of the skiing, we're pretty busy. But it's been eye-opening for me. I come from a financial background. So interacting with people on a daily basis of where are you from, what are you here for? Oh, well, if you want to do that, let's help you make a reservation for it. And getting to really know people has been an experience for me that I love. Not just beyond the winery, but getting to know them as people and spending more time with them up in the villa. And we've been fortunate enough to stay at the villa, and it's it's always fantastic. Very comfortable. Like you said, Miss Frida can cook, so breakfast <laughs> is always excellent. So well, we had an excellent breakfast there this morning, so it was great. <laughs> and it's a great convenience, too, because you're right here. There's not, I mean, Banner Elk's a small little town. 
you have a couple other small towns in the area, but being located right on property is just super convenient. And it's really central, so you could just, you know, hop over there, hop over here. And you can walk to your room. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or crawl back up the hill to your room, whatever. I don't think anybody's ever done that. We've been taken up on the golf cart. <laughs> so let's talk about the fire pit out front. So that's, a, like, a big feature, and you, you do some fun things with that, right? Absolutely. So the fire pit is central to our operation on Saturdays. Um Everybody wants to come out and sit by the bonfire. It's year-round. As long as the weather permits, we will have that going on Saturdays and hopefully on Sundays. Um, but we open up a complimentary s'mores bar to kids and kids at heart. It's, um, it's pretty nice. It's something that we look forward to at the end of our shift if the bonfire is still going to go out and roast a marshmallow as well. So this brings a sense of family, a sense of camaraderie, a sense of also, it's, it's how folks bribe their kids to come here on vacation, too. So. And like you said, too, like year-round, it's, it's great. Like, even in the summertime, it's still warm, but it's still very attractive. I mean, you get the, the smell of the smoke and everything in there. It's, mm-hmm. it's a good way to, again, unwind and relax. My favorite time is the fall, though. Sitting there by the fall. It's the best. It's absolutely the best. But the beautiful part about Banner Elk is we can get fall weather year-round, too. So. That's true. <laughs> That's true. It's a little cool out there this morning. So. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about events. What events do you host here at the winery and maybe the events that folks might have at the, at the barn? Sure. So in our first couple of years of being a winery, we did a lot of weddings and a lot of events. The vines are still rather young at that point. So while we were letting them mature and grow, we had an alternative arrangement for business. We kind of backtracked a little on that. Now on a Saturday, it's easily a couple hundred people here, which the nice thing is we can spread them out across the property, but we don't really shut down anymore. We do do a lot of weddings and events, mostly small movements, so we have a few people on, and we provide the cake, the photographer, um, Emily and I are actually both ordained ministers. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so we can marry people up to doing rehearsal dinners. We do a lot of those. Banner Elk is a destination wedding area. So no matter what size of event you're looking for, there are so many places around here that cater to that. There are so many businesses that cater as well. That no matter whom people choose, we're also used to working with each other. It's also a town of a thousand people. Everyone knows everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about the other wineries that are in the area and how you guys work together and the Appalachian High Country ABA and and the importance of that. Now, since November of 2016, we have all been on a wine trail together. So there's Grandfather, uh, Grandfather Winery. There's Lindell Falls Winery. And then actually over the border in Tennessee, there is Watauga Lake Winery. And Watauga Lake also opened up another vineyard called the Lenove Vineyards. And now we're all five, technically, on the wine trail together. And if you go to each of the wineries and then do a wine tasting, we have little passports set up where you can get a stamp or a signature from um, whoever's working into the tasting for you. And then once you've completed all the wineries, you get a souvenir glass. And we're looking at changing that gift. We're not 100% sure that that's what it's always going to be, but right now it is a souvenir stimulus glass that has our wine trail logo on it. Um, it's really great. And since this has all been enacted, all of us together, all the wineries together, we meet about once a month. We chit-chat about 
business and what's been going on at our wineries and, and this and that and what we can do to promote each other better. And it's after being here for as long as I have, it's really wonderful to see that sense of camaraderie amongst the businesses. Um, and it's really helped all of us grow quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, when we were at some of the other wineries, they're always referring other people to, to other folks. So that would, that's great to see that, that you're working together because it's makes the region a destination and, it's not a competition, if you will. There's been a couple of wineries since I started working here seven years ago that are no longer in the area that have shut down. So it's having this ABA come about and us all really working together to keep us all afloat and keep us all doing better and striving towards um, a bigger business for a bigger industry for us all is really, really a treat to see. So we talked a little bit about uh, the heirloom wine that you have, but you also have two other really unique varietals and wines that you offer here that really no other place in the state has them uh, that they offer as a single varietal. So uh, let's talk about the, the Marshall Foch for a moment. So the Foch is the house favorite for everyone that works here. We may work for a winery, but when we get off the clock, the way we tend to unwind is with bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> and I particularly love scotch. So it has that smoky flavor to it. It's naturally smoky, so we enhance by putting it on French oak anywhere from a year to 15 months. It acts like a heavier style Pinot Noir. It's a lot of plum tone, very velvet, rich fruit flavor, and then goes into that smoke and the oak in the back. But it's not high in tannins. People that usually have a reaction with that or they don't like the heavy cabs in California, it's not that flavor profile. And we can honestly say through trial and error that it goes fantastic if we're doing s'mores. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a tip for those who, who are coming to visit later. Yeah, grab, grab yourself a bottle and then uh, head over to the s'mores bar. Absolutely. Enjoy. <laughs> so the other one that you also have is the Sable Blanc. And uh, you do Sable in two different uh, types, so to say. Talk to us about that one. Um, so... Traditionally, with Saval Blanc, we've produced it since since we've opened up, and we've kept it in a drier style, so it acts a lot like a Sauvignon Blanc, um, citrusy, a lot of green apple notes to it. But in 2015, when we had our 10-year anniversary, we decided to kind of switch something up a little bit, and we hadn't really focused on sweet wines ever in the past. Um, but being that we are in the state of North Carolina and we are in a tourist town, a lot of folks are sweet wine drinkers. It was nice to have something to offer them as well. So we took the Save All Blanc and prior to fermentation, we did add in some sugar so that once fermentation was complete, it came out softer, it came out smoother, and it came out in that sweeter style of wine that a lot of folks are looking for. But we were still able to use our local grape to continue to make something a little more unique and a little more central to our wine. So we do offer a sweeter style of Saval Blanc that we label as our Saval Blanc Reserve, really just to distinguish the difference. And then our original Saval Blanc, which is what a lot of folks have been coming back for year after year. So now the Marshall Foch pairs well with a s'more. What would you pair with the Saval? Well, with the sweeter one, uh, we did a farm-to-table dinner with a local farm a few years ago, and we paired it with an apple pie that was topped with caramel drizzle. Mm, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, but the Save All Blanc, the drier style, definitely does well with pretty much any spicy food. I prefer it with Thai food if I'm going to, but also um, really any light fish dishes, something with a citrus glaze maybe. And then um, we have had it with aged cheeses. So if you're going to have one of your sharp cheese plates, this fat does pretty well across the board too. Let's talk about the blueberry wine then, because a lot of places that have a blueberry wine, it's it's fairly sweet. 
Um, and it's usually in a smaller bottle. Uh, this one is in the 750. It's not super sweet it's, uh, from the estate. So let's talk about that a little bit. Our house blueberry wine is really what we're kind of known for, being that we were on a blueberry farm here before there was ever a winery. Um, our blueberry is made to about a 2.5% residual sugar, so technically not sweet, technically not dry, just really soft, easy drinking, a little bit high in acid, but not too over the top, um, not intended to be a dessert wine whatsoever, which is kind of nice. It's Like I said, when we started out, we weren't really making a whole lot in the way of sweet wine. We kind of tried to stick to dry wine, and being unique enough that we would stick with a blueberry wine, which most folks expect to be sweet, making it a little bit drier. Fermentation style is a little bit different on it, but really not too much. It's kind of one of those things where folks expect fruit wines to be sweet, so winemakers provide them with a sweet right. wine, but you don't always have to. So we took that avenue. And what would you pair with blueberry wine? It is incredible with vegetarian dishes. Hmm. Um, as a recovered vegetarian, <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to pretty much any kind of raw fruit or veggie dish. Um, especially salads, something with balsamic dressing mm -hmm. or oh, with yeah. some sharp cheeses. Um, the goat cheese actually does pretty fantastic with a blueberry wine. Oh, yeah, I could see that for sure. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about sangria. <laughs> Everybody loves a sangria here, and you've got two different kinds of sangria to offer folks, so we do. it's quite a hit. Because we have people coming from Florida and from the coast that tend to like the sweeter styles, as Emily mentioned before, we really don't do that. It's never been a focus point for us. So five years ago, four years ago, five years ago, we started making what has morphed into our berry sangria. Uh, we do a lot of fruits. We let it sit overnight, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> and we serve it. Um, it's about every berry and fruit known to mankind, and we right now use our banneral white. We've used our rosé before. We've used our Saint Albon Reserve. It really just depends upon what we have in stock and what we can use for the batch. I can honestly say, in the summer, we sell more by the glasses of our sangria than everything else combined. <laughs> and then three years ago, we started making a strawberry jalapeno sangria, something that had a little lighter style, not quite as sweet, with a little bit of bite to it. We had a bride that really wanted to do that for her wedding, but unfortunately she didn't like her strawberries. So we did a little experimentation at home. <laughs> a whole bunch of fruits. Research, research. And it came about that watermelon worked. So we do a watermelon, jalapeno, lime, sangria. Again, made with the banner of white, um, but not as sweet, and it does have little that kick to it, <laughs> which has become incredibly popular for us. Both are quite tasty. Thank you. For sure. Yes, for this to be 4th of July week, we sat down and tried to calculate everything that we would need <laughs> to make sangria for the week and came up with some staggering numbers. So. I did not buy out three grocery stores. <laughs> that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> They probably love to see you coming. They know you by now, right? Oh, they do. I know every single person in the grocery store, and they usually laugh at me when I walk in the door, and they're going, he's under the back again. <laughs> and I don't make a trip once through right, the grocery right, store. Right. It tends to be two or three times that I go through the uh, checkout counter. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we make a lot of sangria. <laughs> 
So um, you've been in the business now for about four years, seven years. Uh, what would you say has left the biggest impact on you? The ability to handle hospitality. Um, when I started here, I had definitely some issues with social anxiety and um, started working behind the bar at 21. And then next thing I know, it just came easy. It came naturally. And so as a person, it's definitely helped me learn how to speak to people and interact with people. But also, I get to meet so many folks in my in working here. And it's been such a wild ride. Um, but the networking is incredible. Um, like just getting to meet you gentlemen is one perfect example of that. And so we have folks that come to this town from all over the world. Um, often some folks that are quite famous that walk through these doors and you get to sit down and talk with them like they're people and like they're not who they are. And I think they get to really enjoy that experience as well. It's fantastic. Lisa? Mm-hmm. I came from New York City to Bear Oak, which was... A little bit of a shock. <laughs> Just a little, I would imagine. I came in my heels and my big hair and my suits. Um, I now own flannel, which I never thought I would say. <laughs> but I love Banner Elk and the fact that we are a small town, but we get an influx of people from all over the world. So you get your small town charm, but you also get to meet people in so many different facets of life. We get to have regulars from Charlotte and Raleigh that I never would have met otherwise. But now, if I go to Raleigh and I don't see them for lunch, I get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> and even with the wine business itself, I have been bartending for 10 years. I've never had a place like this or the camaraderie where we can call up other wineries in the state and ask them questions or if we need something. Or when we have our national conferences and we all meet up together, it's so nice to see them and get to talk to them. Even though we are technically all four businesses between our ABA that have the same what people consider competition, it's not at all. On our days off, we go to grandfather and hang out by the river just like everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> and when Nicole's family was in town from Florida, they came here to see us. There's just a community sense here that I've never seen before. That's really cool. So let's do a quick little segment of this or that. So it's basically like rapid fire, one or two word answers. <laughs> let's a couple questions. Okay. Um, There's no wrong answer. Absolutely no wrong answer. <laughs> so, uh, okay, let's talk about this. Uh, red, white, or rosé? Rosé. Okay. Rosé. Good choice. <laughs> um, favorite food pairing? With chocolate and wine. Chocolate and red wine. I hate chocolate, so that one's not fair for oh, me. No. <laughs> uh, cheesecake and dessert wine. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, Chardonnay, oats or not oats, or anything but Chardonnay? Anything but Chardonnay. <laughs> I would say oak for myself. Sorry. I like it anyway. I love Chardonnay. I just do. Uh, so with the red wines, uh, single varietal or blends? Blends. Depends upon where they're coming from, but mostly blends. Okay. Uh a vintage within the past three years or 10 plus? 10, 10 plus. plus. For cheese, you like a soft cheese, hard cheese, especially if you're pairing it with wine? Hard cheese. I like soft cheese. We have this argument at home, too. Hard <laughs> cheese is ridiculous. <laughs> Trader Joe's and Whole Foods get so much money from us. Yes, they do. Yeah, it's like, it's like I'm a kid in the candy store when mm-hmm. I go to the cheese aisle at either of those places because I love cheese, too. I like it. I like all cheese. <laughs> <laughs> not found one yet that I don't like so 
what would you like folks to know when they come to Better that no matter what, this place is a home to all of the folks that work here, and y'all are coming into our home, and it's welcome, and we want you to feel that way. Um, this is not just some business that we're in the business of making money, and certainly that that keeps us going and keeps us afloat, but what we're all about here is everybody having a good time. We want folks to be here to enjoy themselves, and to not just come and grab a glass of wine and whatever, or just come and do a tasting and leave. It's, we want everybody to feel like this is home. We take our wine seriously, but we don't take ourselves very seriously. Um, Being a college students, a lot of the times we will do event weekends and 80s weekend, 90s weekend, the day after Thanksgiving, because no college student wants to be here at 10.30 in the morning. We put them all in Christmas Eve onesies. So you may never know what you're going to walk into here, but our job is to make you feel welcome and happy, and hopefully along the way, if we're dancing behind the bar, you're dancing with us. It's a great philosophy. I have to say, uh, you know, you definitely can feel that welcoming atmosphere when you walk in, so. We work very hard for that because we're going to do a job and we're going to be in an industry. We might as well do something that we love. Absolutely. I, I hate to go in any situation, whether it's a restaurant or a store or, or whatever, and see somebody working that's just miserable or just grumpy. And, and that's not, that's not what we do here. Um, if you're going to come to work, I want you to be happy. So that's what we work, work really hard for. So what do you, what do you think the future holds for North Carolina wine and, and, High country wine in general. Well, if you ask our winemaker, David moved here from Oklahoma because he saw the wine industry moving towards the east with global warming and the way things are going with water. He says that North Carolina is going to be the best, next major holder for wine. Um, and even in the last four years, our temperatures have changed a little bit. We're getting a little warmer. But we have so many natural resources here that North Carolina wine, we have such a history. If before Prohibition we had more grapes than any other state, I can't wait again. Exactly. So we're kind of winding down on on the the questions that we have. Um, Just kind of thinking here, what other words of advice would you have for anyone who's thinking about getting into the wine industry who may not have been in it before or people who are just kind of like saying, gosh, it looks so much fun, I want to do it. What are your What are your words of advice for them? It is so much fun. You should do it. <laughs> um, I was very fortunate when I started working here. I fell in love with it. I did a lot of study on my own. Um, I was fortunate enough to come across a few sommeliers who not only loaned me their books to study more about wine, but also helped me along the way. So um, it's something I've become passionate about. It's a lot of fun, and there's always something to learn. I will never know everything. And that thirst for knowledge that I have, that's something that I always appreciate. Um, Folks that are in the industry are kind, they're sweet, and it's just a big family regardless. I agree. We get so many people here, especially the wives and older people that are getting ready to retire, and they go, how can we get a job here? (laughs) (laughs) And we do. We have a lot of people in the local community that on busy weekends or when it comes time to harvest, we call them and go, hey, We'll feed you, we'll pay you, we'll give you some wine. Just please come help us. They're great. Even if they're just greeters, they can be part of our family and part of the community. 
that we really truly need. But the wine industry, you're never going to know everything. There's so much, like Emily said, that you can learn and do and so many facets that you can work in, whether you're growing or you're at a winery or if you are working as a small in a restaurant. There's endless capability. It's an incredible thing. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know? We're open year-round. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, come visit. <laughs> Every day except for Christmas and Thanksgiving. So and 12 to 6. And Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve. That's a new thing we started doing. We closed Christmas Eve this past year. We really want folks that work for us to be able to get home to their families. And most of them don't aren't from here. So it's it's a big deal to be able to go home for a couple sure, of days. Absolutely. I'm Jewish. It's not that big of a deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps Lisa will op- end up opening. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm always the one that's here on Easter and everyone comes in. They're like, good Sunday. I'm like, yeah, that thing. <laughs> I have no clue what that means. Yes. <laughs> right on. Well, Emily and Lisa, thank you very much for the conversation today. We definitely appreciate getting to sit down and chat with both of you to learn more about Banner Elk, uh, to entice our listeners to come out here and visit. Uh, You know, if we haven't made it clear, I definitely think it's a place that you should come out to and relax, enjoy the wine, enjoy being like you're part of the family when you come in here. So definitely come on home. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. We always enjoy having you here. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Lisa and Emily for the conversation and for hosting us at the winery and villa. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. This helps others find our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time. And remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers. <laughs>